0: Welcome to Our Backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42.
1: So the best moments are when a bunch of buddies get a good idea... In a garage. And we have perhaps one of the best moments of that happening in all of history, and especially car history. Unfortunately, my co host is not here today. He's out in the woods. You know how he loves his trees. But I'm joined by a very special guest, which I'm very excited. So, Stephen, how are you and what are you drinking?
0: Doing well. I am not much of a drinker, but I'm enjoying this brown sugar bourbon. Uh, brown Sugar Bourbon by Heritage Distilling.
1: I'm joining you with the exact same thing, and I gotta say, I'm not usually a big fan of sweet, but I enjoy it. Yeah, likewise. I I have to say, I'm super excited about this conversation. I love the obscure history, especially when it's like the Godfathers of Sleepy Cars. Sure. Like they they are the Sleeping Cars gods, and I might get too hard. I I'm getting too excited here, but. Who are we talking about and why do you love them?
0: So a little bit of backstory. Uh, my, my name is Steven. I've been chasing these obscure AMG Mercedes for probably the last 10 or 11 years. A little bit about me is my first car was a 1989 Mercedes SEC. And my father had an eighties one growing up. And he said, you can have anything you want as long as it's an eighties Mercedes it has to be safe and reliable, but you know, it was just safety was paramount. But as a high schooler, what do you want to do? You want to go faster and look cooler. (laughs) So we, we know how the rabbit holes go, but with, you know, the American stuff and the Japanese stuff, you could just call them up and order whatever you wanted. And, you know, a Summit Racing catalog or just parts from Japan, overnight parts from Japan. I mean, they made movies about the JDM stuff, so they were easy to get. And... I always kept up looking like, okay, where are the speed parts for these these 80s Mercedes? And they were AMGs. I'm like, okay, cool. Can I run down to the dealer? Can I go grab one? And I quickly learned that the company that made them was acquired by Mercedes-Benz and the company that started it merged. So trying to get all these old parts simply don't exist. And doing some research with the only... (laughs) This was two thousand ten. So you couldn't really go to Instagram and look up pictures and stuff like that. It was very old school of tracking these guys down or looking on the good old forms on the internet. The old days when you had to actually make
1: efforts into not social media posting everywhere.
0: Yeah, just like wanted to buy like this that didn't exist. It was the forums were the biggest resource that we had and that's where I discovered, you know, the true depths of what AMG offered and what they did, and listening to the guys that were tracking these cars as well, and buying them, and building them, and restoring them, and doing all all that's involved with that. But AMG started off as an independent tuner company in Germany. They took a 300 SEL and famously named as the Red Pig, and raced it at Spa 24 hours. And they were expected to lose, but end up dominating.
1: See, this is this is why I love this story. So. In case those don't haven't figured it out by yet. We're talking about AMG, AMG, just a
0: bunch of Mercedes guys. I believe they're all German. Yep, they were all AMG actually stands for uh, Hans Alfrecht and no Hans Melt Alfrecht Melcher and Grossbach. There we go. So they were the th- the two founders, which was Alfrecht and Melcher. And Grossbach was, I believe, Alfrecht's birthplace. I thought it
1: was like a like the place where they were working,
0: like the small town. or something. That's a Falterbach. A Falterbach yeah. is the town, but Grossbach was, I think, his birth. Okay. And what's cool is if you look at the AMG Crest, you've got the camshaft and the apple orchard, which because there was a lot of apple orchards in a Falterbach. So that's where the origin of their logo comes from. Devil's
1: in the details sometimes, man. That is, I didn't know that part.
0: So they went and they raced the 300 SEL famous red pig at the 24 Hours of Spa, and it saw tremendous success.
1: And for those never seen the red pig, from i've never saw the red pig until researching this it is not what you call a slick car but boy does it do the job that thing is a butte when it's going down the track it's a cool car talk about an underdog that just came out on top out of nowhere just a couple friends going hey let's do this let's do this yeah i dude I'm a, i'm a garage guy i can tell by you you're a garage guy so when someone gets come together and this happens that's I can see why you fell in love with this because I'm already falling in love with this.
0: So here's where things get interesting is when figuring out, going back to the whole forms thing of like, okay, what can I do to get the parts to get my standard car looking like an AMG? And there was nothing. There was no dealer parts, no none of that. So what happened was AMG was a franchise. You had AMG Central, which was, or you had the AMG headquarters, which was a Falterbach, which is where they actually made the cars in Germany they would make the parts. They would make the engines. They would cast their own cylinder heads. They would do the aerodynamic testing for body kits. They would do wheels. Uh, They had BBSs and OZs were options for wheels that you could order. And then they had differentials, exhausts, body kits, interior trimming, whatever you name it, whatever you wanted, as long as you could pay for it, they would do it. That's really nice
1: having like in-house equipment just to do whatever you need. Everything's like It's not just turnkey, but it's customizable in-house stuff. Exactly.
0: They were bespoke cars. And AMG um, Germany was where everything started from, but there was different franchises. So there was a couple of different locations. There's a lot of cars out of Japan where they had locations in Japan where you could get cars that were built in Japan with parts from Germany under the AMG franchise tag. Then we get into my favorite part is AMG Chicago. So there was a headquarters of AMG's United States outlet in Westmont, Illinois. And the building still stands. It's a played it Again sports in Westmont. That's that's a little close to home and that is mind blowing that it's
1: that close from where I grew up and I'm just discovering it now. That hurts my head so much.
0: I think it's twenty 20- Twenty-two, three West Oldgan Avenue in Westmont.
1: Oh God! I, next time I go back to Chicago, I'm gonna to have to make a little detour just to see that.
0: I did that when my first time in Chicago. No. I got a picture of that. We're, We're already, already friends. friends. I like, think so. this is it's this is wonderful. wonderful. So, what happened was this gentleman by the name of Richard Buxbaum. I don't know exactly how he got involved with AMG, but he is the CEO of AMG North America. And what they would do is they would go and you could either have them purchase a car on your behalf and take it directly from the dealership and do whatever modifications that you wanted, send your car to them and have them do the conversions, or you could purchase parts either through an authorized dealer or from them directly. I have a question for you. So this, when the Chicago
1: facility happened, I know AMG went through some different, I guess you could say layers, because they they weren't just like, you had the Red Pig, they were also doing, they were trying to enter into like some sports market where does this kind of fit in the timeline of the beginning of AMG to Chicago? Like, are we have they already been tried to been has Mercedes tried to
0: purchase them? My understanding of the timeline is the Spa was in Spa was in late sixties, early seventies. I forget the exact date, which is I, I yeah, no, have you're known. good, you're yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, I should know the exact date on that one, but blame it on uh, the bourbon. bourbon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So their Westmont facility opened in I'm guessing late seventies, early eighties, and ended around 1990. So they were ended in nineteen ninety, but it was up until nineteen ninety. The the reason why I was just asking because you
1: said the Japanese market because I know for a long time AMG was just kind of doing German cars and then people brought like hey we have the money can you do this and it just kept growing and growing and growing.
0: Oh, so um, with the with the Japanese market was they didn't really they made an AMG Gallant which is kind of cool, but they would send car you know Mercedes Benz that were modified to Japan. And the conversions on Mercedes Benz were completed in Japan. Okay. So they they primarily ninety nine percent only worked on Mercedes Benz cars. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: And then they were just assembled. Where the cars had the conversions and modifications done was in Japan, or if it was Germany or Chicago. All right. So back to
1: Chicago because you right. said it's your favorite part. Which I mean, I got home roots to it, and I got this new love of AMG. We'll probably talk about it a little bit, but the V eight in the in the minivan, I glorious, glorious. So back to Chicago. So we're, we're back in Chicago. Sure. They somehow got linked up with AMG, the uh, one man who is now kind of running the Northern Europe, not sorry, the North American market. How does that affect AMG in the world? Because I know in the beginning, they were kind of... is
0: actually a great question. So they wanted to take a page out of the Americans book where taking the smallest car that they had and shoving the biggest engine possible in it. Mercedes had a couple of different offerings. They had the SEL and the SEC, which is their big S-Class, and that featured the V8 from the factory. What they wanted to do was take their E-Class and take the S-Class engine, transmission, you know, differential, and the whole running gear, and shove that in their E-Class sedan. That's a tight fit right there. And do some tweaks to the to the motors and all the other stuff, but... To remember, they were doing these cars when they were new, they were sacrificing eighty thousand dollar new cars and chopping them up of forty thousand dollar cars as well. So, these cars were like hundred and eighty thousand dollars to do this. So, that the famous car that they did was called the Hammer, which I think is the coolest name of any car. I, I actually know a little about this. If I this could be uh, a falseness, but
1: some news reporter or someone called it the Hammer because it was as delicate or dank as a hammer or something like that, making fun of it, and they're like. I like the name.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's also nice about it is, I think it's the same in both English and German. Oh, that's nice. So that's always helpful. Yes. Dual
1: market, right there. Go right there. And I, from what I understand this, and what I've seen of this, and research this, is they're like Ferrari, like where they customize their engines. They care about the details. I mean, every, if I'm not mistaken, even to back in the '90s, they have their signature. The and the
0: oh the plaque yeah. on the engine yeah so on that's a something that they introduced in the early two thousands I believe with the one thirteen had the little plaque on there but there is the philosophy of the one man to one engine so the engine that made the hammer famous is the M one seventeen double overhead cam thirty two valve which is incorrectly referred to as the hammer engine because in order to get a hammer it had to have that engine but not all cars that had that engine were hammers. You could have that that double overhead cam he- engine in an S-Class but not be called a hammer because the hammer had all the intense conversion that was done to make it that car. See. So there's lots of mistakes of people saying, oh, is that a hammer? Is that, is that a hammer? But it's not because it didn't get the full conversion. See, that's what that's why I was trying to say with like Ferrari. Like everyone compares Ferraris to be these beautiful cars.
1: But like AMG, they were more about functionality than cosmetics always. Sure. And to me, that's always far more beautiful. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm an engineer. And the de- the devil in the details of their work and craftsmanship is ridiculous like lowering like, i think it was for the hammer they were lowering it and adding their own air resistance like skates aerodynamics Yeah. i it blows my mind that just a couple guys in a garage went to all this point and they're making a huge splash in the market for oh, yeah. racing and just in general not just their niche but racing
0: Throughout the entire world. So going back to your question about the engine plaque, is their philosophy is one man and one engine. So when they had that engine installed, you had the engine serial number, I believe it was the displacement stamp, and then it was the technician number. So even going back to the early seventies on these special engines were still traceable. And I don't know who it is, but I've seen a lot of engine builder number twenty eights. If you look at those quad cam engines, number twenty technician number twenty eight built a lot of engines, and his are still around today for some reason. He is
1: the goat, apparently. I we that might be uh, for anyone listening to uh, tell us where that person is and if he still makes engines. Fall through box technician number twenty eight. If you're out there, let me know.
0: We <laughs> <laughs> probably have a better chance of finding an alien. Oh my gosh. So what's interesting about these engines that makes them really fantastic is the standard S class engine was a single overhead cam, sixteen valve engine. They decided that they wanted to do a double overhead cam conversion. So they took the cylinder heads off of the stock S-Class, cast and designed their own heads, converted it to double overhead cam, and installed it into these cars, all using factory components, factory fuel injectors, factory, you know, the, the Bosch KJetronic fuel injection system. And a lot of the components on these motors were serviceable, yet there is some proprietary stuff with the solid lifters and everything else that's involved with it. But a lot of the components were still interchangeable with the stock car, which is what really made it a slick conversion. So they did think about serviceability even after the cars were manufactured. They thought all the way through. And again, like you mentioned
1: earlier, where these were new cars, mm-hmm. like these, this is not like like taking a beater-upper and doing what you want with it. This is taking $80,000
0: minimum, I would say. To build a hammer? No, just or just the ba- the donor car. Just the donor car. <laughs> oh, I think an E Class was like forty five thousand dollars then, which in nineteen eighty seven. So today is like eighty grand. Yeah, that,
1: I mean, and just go like, yeah, we're gonna chop this up and make it ours, but yep. we're gonna make it better ours. That's, and I did not know about the swappability that you can go back and forth. I thought it was kind of a one modification, you're done. You can't. I didn't know about the switching back and forth. Like,
0: oh no, they didn't switch them back and forth, but it's just the interchangeability of parts. So like the uh, fuel injection system for the S Class is the same, the factory fuel injection for the S-Class is used on the Hammer. So it's not some proprietary system where you could say, hey, I need parts from, I need my fuel injectors from the S-Class. Okay, cool. And they work on the Hammers as well, because it is the same engine in theory with different heads on it. Okay. So, they damn, they really thought everything through. But going back to your point about the world stage, what was really cool is these cars, there was a famous, I think it's a car and driver, magazine with like the world's fastest car shootout and there was a Silverhammer sedan there that took on a Testarossa, a Countach, I think a Callaway was there and a Roof Nine, a Roof Yellowbird was there as well and they did a road test with all these cars. And what's cool is that Silver Car is the early AMG prototype that started off in Germany then it came to the United States and that was there. And then there's a black car and driver car that was It was a black-on-black car that was on the cover of Car and Driver magazine, and that car was another shootout car that they tested as well. Then there's another famous car that they made, which was the Red Hammer sedan that's been all over, which was famously known as the North American press car. Now, going back to production, or cycling into production stuff, is they made about what we historians claim is about 13 hammers and
1: i like how you said that we historians think about i mean when you've been
0: studying something for like 10 years and i actually this i did just get my society of automotive historians card today
1: you're an expert there's i mean there's the reason like ladies and gentlemen he's
0: got the physical proof but i knew coming in he was the expert at amg yeah i mean i'm just looking through and chasing these cars down for the last 10 years is kind of one thing I've done was going back and meeting the former CEO and going and seeing all of his archives and everything, You've too. met the former CEO? He's still in Chicago, actually. Okay. Great guy.
1: We're going to divert here for a second, ladies and gentlemen. We need to talk about this. How did you get a hold of him, and how did you convince him to like, help you find the archives to help hunt? and So the man's stuff? name is
0: Richard Buxbaum, and he sells antiques out of Chicago. He's an incre- incredible gentleman. His business is just selling French antiques, And he does these amazing sheep sculptures. And it's this really cool, like, kind of mid-century modern-looking sheep sculpture that's this. And I'm like, oh, I know the guy that that makes those because, I'm like, they're like $5,000 statues of sheep just for, like, decoration. But the reason why he made them was he told me the story about walking, I believe, with his wife in Paris and seeing a real Claude Lallene sheep. And they wanted it, but he said, no, I'm not paying that for them. And now a real Claude Delane sheep is like $100,000 for this sheep sculpture. So now he sells replica Claude Delane sheep. He went from
1: seeing a sheep to now making sheep replicas and is now making expensive sheep oh, replicas. That, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, is America America's finest. You see something, you make something, you show the craftsmanship, it's there. All right, so besides the sheep, even though we're probably gonna come back to that because I have more questions on Sheet. <laughs> how do you contact this guy? Like
0: how? So how I was can... doing some googling of just researching the people that were involved with AMG, and the name Richard Bucksbaum kept popping up of being CEO of AMG, and I found his LinkedIn page where I was like CEO of AMG, you know, founder of Old Plank Antiques. And I'm just like, hmm, here's his website. Here's his phone number. Let me just give the guy a call. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, what's the worst that I could call? And I introduced myself and told him my background with these cars and everything. And he was very cordial. And he offered to send me some little photos of cars. So that was very cool. Then I attempted to build a rapport with the guy and eventually asked him, said, hey, what other documentation do you have? And he told me the, what he's kept, his archives. And I am attempted to purchase it. And then he we kind of went back and forth for a little bit. And another gentleman of mine who, uh, shout out to Jonathan Hodgman at Blue Ridge Mercedes here, he and I actually went up and met him and split the collection amongst ourselves. So, wow. It was, the big thing is we didn't want it to end up, you know, going to, going on eBay and just part it out. We wanted to make sure that it would be scanned, digitized, organized, preserved, and shared properly with the world. So that was really our significance because we realized that this stuff is really important history, but we wanted to make sure it was done the right way.
1: You're you're truly a historian. You want to make sure that collection stays a collection, not just part it out from cash. Yeah. No, exactly. You just keep art together, and that's that's art documents. So you flew out to Chicago.
0: I assume you met him. He's probably got to
1: have some good stories.
0: Oh, my gosh. He's got amazing stories. I mean, you, you name it. He was telling us about hang, hanging out with um, a couple of clients at the famous turn in Monaco, and he was just telling us about the these um, just these eccentric clients that he had When there was, I'm trying to think what it was. Oh, gosh. I mean, it was just fun stories about, like, the famous French chef that owned the best restaurant in Chicago that was, you know, a a table wait was over six months. Unless he, you know, he knew you like cars. Then you can get a table in, like, a day or so. That, hey, it pays to know people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, going back to the Hammers real quick. So we, to the best of our knowledge, think that they made around 13 of these cars, of these conversion cars called the Hammers. And each one of these cars is a little bit different. So the earliest surviving car that we know of is the silver sedan that was the car and driver magazine car that was silver with black. It started life in Germany and has a double overhead cam six liter. And I believe that car started off as an early five liter car and got progressions of engines because that was the testing car. Was this the first hammer that got the name the hammer? That was probably the first car that got that because it was from the Car and Driver article with the World's Fastest Car Shootout. Okay. Okay. So that's that car. Then there's another black sedan, which I had the pleasure of sourcing for an amazing company called Curated down in Miami. Uh, There's a gentleman named John Tamarian who owns that and we've been chatting back and forth with our mutual interest with the Lamborghini Countach and my involvement with that car a little bit. And I was telling him about my involvement with the AMGs. And he remembered those cars from his past. And he said, can you find me one? And I kind of chuckled. I'm like, dude, there's only 13, but, but kind of, I'll take a chat. I'll take a stab at it. And was able to locate a car with him. Or we had the phone number for the guy. I gave him the phone number, but the phone number was wrong. But John found the phone number for the guy and said, Hey, can, can you go look at this car? Can you see if it's real? So he actually flew me up to go inspect this car in Rye, New Hampshire.
1: How how does one end up in New Hampshire of all the places for the hammer? Like, And also, bravo on your investigation skills of finding the CEO and now finding a hammer there's only 13 of them and just having to find one of them. So
0: that car was actually serviced by my friend Blue Ridge Mercedes in the past. So I did ask him for, you know, hey, where would you know of one of these cars? And which is a great resources, independent shops. So that's kind of a good way to find these cars. But I asked him for his... You know, would he know of one? And this car was the guy was trying to sell it, but there was some discrepancies with with the car.
1: So when you did go out there to New Hampshire and you looking through it and stuff like that, what do you mean by discrepancies? Was it like some aftermarket parts that got switched? Yeah, just a little market?
0: things like that. Like as like we noticed that the wheels were refinished wrong and the original radio was missing and little things like that. But there were other questions about body panels and as the cars have gotten older, but there was very distinctive pieces. On the car that really showed the car that verified the car's authenticity so that car each one of these cars is different so i've seen some cars that got no interior bits and every then some cars got all the interior bits or some cars got all the speed parts but no cosmetic aftermarket modifications so this car started life was a 5.6 liter four cam so it got the engine but it didn't get a displacement increase because the standard s-class at that time in the u.s was 5.6 liters. AMG would bore them to 6 liters if you wanted. So this car was a a black hammer sedan with a 5.6 liter double overhead cam engine that had all the leather. The leather headliner, the doors, the Recaro CSEs, the multiple powerway, and they were Buffalo leather. And it was just the softest leather that you could imagine. I did not know Buffalo
1: leather was a thing, and I am now very curious about that. But I...
0: The most distinctive part about it was this bright, white, bird's-eye maple interior. So all the extended wood kit that they would offer in the center console and the glove box and the door panels had this beautiful burl trim, but it had this really strange distinctive center console on it. So doing some research, as we historians like to do, is we pulled up the old magazine, and we were able to locate that distinctive center console and the wood pattern from that saying, okay, this is the original interior from that car, and that was one of the things I was able to prove that okay, this is that car based on that magazine car. You're like, uh,
1: like testing for art forgery. Like you're like, is this the right paint year? Is this like right this?
0: Car? I mean, when you're dealing with six-figure cars and there's only thirteen of them, and clients that fly you in from all over the world, like they want to make sure it's right. And then you've got the standard stuff that you got to look for leaks, rust, and accident damage and other stuff that these cars deal with. But what's interesting is even though they're special, like they still deal with the same stuff, like leaks and rust and all that. But I do find it a little ironic though. AMG, they started by making modifications to
1: the car, but now the, the hammer with only 13 of them, you want them as classic as possible without any more modern modifications.
0: Well, there really wasn't much more that you could do because they were the creme de la creme. Like they were the top shops that once the cars were there, I mean, some of them got custom stereos from AMG, but people back in the day, nothing was touching them. So you didn't really need to modify them. I mean, a standard car, like 100 and something horsepower, now you've got this sedan that's got 375 with a top speed of 186 miles an hour. Nothing's touching you then. There's not a lot that's even touching you today. (laughs) Right. So they really didn't get modified differently. I mean, maybe an exhaust or an interior bit, but a lot of the cars remained in good condition. But... So we've got the silver sedan with the black on black car. Then there is the red hammer sedan which was the North American press car. And that car did everything. That car has been up to Canada, that car has been to Canopa Motorsports in California. That car's didn't it make like a one then the Hammers make do the
1: Cannibal runs. Thing? I don't I don't know of that one. Maybe, I don't know. I'm I, sure
0: I, they've been pretty quick, but I'll, I'll get to that one. Mm-hmm. So this car was the North American press car. It was in the advertising catalogs. It was road and track amazing magazine called auto gallery it was in the washington post it was in a very famous tv series called lifestyles of the rich and famous which we just found the video of that after finally searching for it so it was a very famous tv series and there's a little segment of their driver track day that they hosted that is
1: amazing i, I i'm curious because you've been collecting all these domi- documents all of these videos where can people find the like these videos and collections are you posting them online is nothing's really
0: posted online right now i'm kind of aggregating everything that i can and working with other shops like this place called the revs institute down in naples which was owned by mr miles collier and they're in associated with i think stanford where they're a, a part of that and I've recently joined the Society of Automotive Historians, and I'm trying to put together a presentation to actually present this, organize my thoughts, and present this properly in a beautiful way for everyone to kind of get up to speed and see everything we're working on, rather than just pointing out bits and pieces of it. Well, when you finally get to that point, we would love to help promote
1: on our side. Absolutely. You know, Thank you. you. You let us know. We will gladly post that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt No, you there, you're good. We just got. We got. We're talking about. We just went from the car that was been around the block all the way up even to Canada. Even has been drag strips, racing, tops, of magazines, of e- newspapers everywhere. Sorry, I didn't mean. To no, know you're details, good.
0: That's where we were at. So that car was actually sold new to Mr. A. B. Hudson of Topeka, Kansas, of Hudson Oil, of Hudson Oil. A little, a little close to home right here. Which is actually really funny because I never imagined it being Kansas. But, you know, A.B. Hudson of Hudson Oil owned that car. And he had a Testarossa and a Countach. And he had that car. And it's funny as I reached out. So the guy that the car... So that car was posted on, on the forums about this guy named Steve Pitbull up in Long Island had the car... And tracing back was this guy named Alan had the car in Topeka, who was the mechanic that serviced the car in Topeka, when he eventually sold the car to Steve. So he had the car, and I called him and I asked him about the car. He said, hey, does it still have the, the Velcro on the dash? I'm like, it kind of does. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that was from his radar detector. He had this massive radar detector <laughs> on the dashboard. So the guy used to run it up and down I-70, and the owner just was, you know, more money than he knew what to do with. He had a heated driveway off his own exit off of I-70. That's goals right there. Get, yeah, get, get, to get at that point, that is goals right there. But part of
1: me thinking, since I'm kind of new to visiting Kansas, wide open, kind of flat roads, it's a perfect place for a hammer. It seems like the the hammer found the nail quite well.
0: So that car, so that car still exists. That car traded hands in like 2013, and that car is down in Atlanta getting a rest, a cosmetic restoration. So they've been trying to figure out like what direction they want to do with it. With Thankfully, with more of a shift towards preservation rather than restoration, so which has been a big shift in the collector car nice. world. So that is that car is currently at a famous mechanic, Jonathan Hodgman of Blue Ridge Mercedes, and he is the one of the other lead historians on these cars. And he's been chasing these cars before me, and I've been very grateful to learn a lot of him from him from working with him and communicating with all this. So he was able to acquire the only hammer wagon ever made. So they made them in either a sedan, which was the most common. They made a coupe version, and there's one wagon that exists. I do not... I know about the sedan. I do not know about the wagon at all. Yep, there's only one. So there's only one wagon they ever made, and it's his. And it's this beautiful nautical blue metallic color with gray leather interior. And it it got a six liter. And what was very special about this car was besides being the only wagon was kind of cool Is it started life as a diesel wagon. So they had to take all the diesel stuff out and make it convert it to gasoline and then do the hammer conversion. I think they were saying that the car cost $250,000 in 1987 and they only did it because the guy had one of every model, like an AMG 190, an SEL, an SEC, um, a hammer coupe wagon and a sedan. He said, literally, I'll take one of everything.
1: That is, ladies and gentlemen, ridiculous amount of money and also quite literally a dual conversion on a car you can
0: changing it from diesel to gas yep. and then
1: <laughs> gas to a hammer yes
0: so what else is cool is on that car that car is in phenomenal condition and he drives that car regularly today and was when he got that car before he got that car when amg got bought in 1990 they had to shut their doors in chicago they were done It was time to find a new new a new gig but there was a gentleman by the name of hartmut Fell fail, fail Hartmut, who founded Rentech down in Florida. And they are now the aftermarket tuner company for AMGs. And he came over from Germany to do the conversions, do the technical work in Chicago, and then formed Rentech down in Florida when they were done. So he was like, I want to keep doing this, and he did it himself. So the hammer wagon went back to Rentech and got what's called updates. Because in Germany, AMG was still functioning independently, and they were still de- developing these parts for these cars. So that car is it got the later wheels, the updated cladding, hotter cams, cast headers, updated body kit, 500E brakes, and a new muffler design. So that car got a various little bit of updates, and was very unique on that car as a suede dash. So he's got that car, and that's kind of his baby. So when Mercedes and AMG had their kind of joint
1: communion slash
0: Mercedes buying them, that kind of shut down the American market. Yes. They just kinda of shut down like AMG wasn't really available in the United States until I believe it was the C thirty six AMG, which was the C class with the straight six three point six liter that was available through dealers in like in the mid nineties. Okay. I believe that was the first AMG in America. So they from nineteen ninety to like ninety four, ninety five, we had nothing. That's a shame because those are those are monsters. Oh yeah, and I love them so oh, yeah. much. So, Jonathan's had those cars and he's been servicing those cars for a very long time. So he has that. He's also had a Hammer Coupe. He also has a Hammer Coupe as well as another Hammer Sedan. So, there was a couple of cars that was seemed really interesting. That well, for some reason they'll, they'll go through waves. Like the black sedan and the silver sedan, the two early cars have traded hands recently, you know, like three or four years ago. Well, in the past, like, six months, there's a lost red coupe, which just recently popped up in traded hands, and a navy blue sedan, which has popped up in traded hands as well. So it's really interesting how these cars will go through waves. But just going back, I'm going to try to see if I can keep track of all the cars that are there. So there's the silver sedan, the black coupe, no, the black sedan. There is silver sedan. Then there's the anthracite car. Then there is the red sedan, the red coupe, the navy sedan. There was a white coupe that existed. The wagon. The wagon, yep. And then I know there's, there was one car that was actually taken apart in a divorce, too, which is really interesting. Wait, someone... Yeah. All right, who's going to hell for this? So this one guy absolutely hated his wife, and his wife was saying yeah, I need money for that car because it's, you know, when when in the early 80s, I mean, $180,000 assets are really saying, he says, I'm just going to take it apart and sell it so it doesn't exist anymore. So he's taken that car apart. Though I, that's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how that one turns out. Though I respect
1: his tenacity, that hurts. It does. So
0: bad. It does. Has, like, any parts that have been found? Like So the guy in Atlanta has the gauge cluster in the engine block. So, that that car is not coming back. A tear rolls down my eye.
1: Yeah. A piece of art lost forever. Yeah.
0: So, what's cool about the cars, I mean, going back with it, is when you, when you read some of the road tests about these cars, is they were 108. Well, each of the cars were different, so depending on the top speed gears, you could have 224 rear end gears or 327s. So, there was a car out of Las Vegas, which is the Red Coupe, which I was telling you about, had a 327 rear end gear. So, you know the guy was driving up and down the strip, but then the... Red sedan had the 224 because that was a top speed car. So each one of these cars could be personalized for whatever it was. And actually, funny looking back, I remember going to middle school. There was always a red SEC, which is the two door S class, which I would always see on my way to school. And I was like, oh, I love that car. I love that car. And I had no idea what it was. I was in like, you know, fifth grade or something like that. But it turns out it was actually. The earliest surviving 4-cam that we knew of existed. It was a red with white extended leather. It was 52,000 Deutschmarks in leather. Leather headliner, leather, you know, leather center console, leather seatbelt pockets. It had a champagne cooler in it. Custom sculpted floor mats with his initials on it. and It had a champagne cooler? Absolutely. The center console was this giant champagne cooler. It was absurd. The Germans know how to make cars. Oh, absolutely.
1: But is that how you fell in love with AMG? Like, what was... I, so,
0: no, that was just coincidental. I mean, I fell in love with it because I got a different car, uh, just a stock car, and looking to find that. But going back, I remember I wondered what happened with that car, and I heard rumors that there was one up by me. And then at the gas station at the same shopping center where I went to school was that car. And I was like, where, like, who's is this car? Who is this car? And it turns out it belonged to a salon owner. A good friend of mine who had the car and unfortunately I didn't have the cash to buy the car at the time, but it ended up being purchased by a friend of mine, the shop foreman down in Atlanta, and was able to help broker that transaction of that significant car. Well, let's talk about, again, small world all over again. Yeah. And
1: I have to ask, you have all the money in the world. Which one do you buy? What is your—this is a hard question, so I'm going to banter for you while, you while you come up with it. You have one of the hammers. You have the cash in hand. Which hammer do you take?
0: So there's a couple of the cars that that are really significant. The wagon is cool because it's genuinely the only one and the car is being driven and it hasn't been blown apart in a million pieces and there's not a bunch of questions behind it. There's the famous car is the one in the German museum where you see the video that Chris Harris drove of this gorgeous two-door with the wide body in this dark gray metallic with black leather and the Recaros, which is a really slick look, and that's a that's a very special car. But for me, I, I would probably have to try to chase down the red sedan because being in all the magazines, and even today when you're still finding footage of that same car, I like being able to look through the magazines and seeing the evolutions that the cars took on. That is poetry right there. <laughs> that, it is. I mean, you're the evolution
1: of the car progressing, the the beauty of growth for that car. Sure. That's poetry, my friend. But then
0: the then I love the story about that car is that it lived a life after that, is it didn't get squirreled away as the guy drove it around and it had a radar detector in it. And it was when they actually drive the car that's meant to be driving. Well that it is, that was a oh. guy's daily driver. So it was funny because through the Lambo world there was this one guy named Alan and he bought a kuntosh from the original owner. And it was his first Countach and he flew in to to Kansas, and he got picked up in the airport in that car. So he remembers that car. He's like, oh, yeah, I farted in that car. I'm like, <laughs> damn. So the guy actually used it. So I think it's kind of cool that it went on to live a life after, too.
1: Yeah, not just collecting dust in someone's fancy garage, but, like, actually use it. Like, when you have a hammer and—
0: Drive it around Kansas.
1: I just love how you put a police scanner in it. You know— Oh, he of course. Was, he was redlining that thing. Oh, of size. course.
0: Like, you have to. Oh, you, you can't not. So— The other thing that was cool that North America did was they did some incredible coach work on those cars. In Europe, they had these three-piece stick-on ducktails where the the rear wing would stick onto the trunk and the quarter panels. But in America, they actually had a sheet metal sculpted ducktail, if you will. So it's this amazingly beautiful sculpted trunk that only the North American cars had. And that was a very expensive option. So not all North American cars got that. So the red sedan has that. But the red coupe that was running around Vegas doesn't. But the navy car in the navy car that just popped up has that. But the silver sedan doesn't have that.
1: Are all the North American hammers still in America? Like is
0: I don't know of any cars that have been exported. No.
1: Okay, that's good news. Now, granted, the divorce guy. Ooh.
0: Well, it was the '80s, man. I mean, God only knows what was there. So. There is a couple of cars that we are looking for. I don't know if they've made a black coupe or not. I've seen pictures of a black coupe, but I don't know if that was just a body kit and wheels car or a straight six car or if that full got the full conversion. But I know that the former CEO had a white coupe, and that car hasn't been seen since.
1: There's a mystery, yeah. There.
0: there is. That may,
1: oh, man. that's uh, You not only found a love and passion of a beautiful objects that you're hunting, literally hunting down. You are... His, historian for all means of c- categorization but there's still the mystery that atlantis that missing piece. there's still
0: cars out there like everyone thinks that you know after 30 years of people like weirdos like me looking knocking down doors that they would still be here but we'd find everything but they're still there they're still out there
1: oh man that is glorious to hear and just it's amazing to me how different the styles were the hammers for the in europe compared to america
0: yeah there's little things with that but it's amazing how they were similar but to actually driving them I, I did get the opportunity to drive the the wagon that was owned by the guy who owns blue ridge and that was a fun time okay we need to talk about this you got to drive one of these beautiful cars i did i was it was a very fun i, I was so excited i couldn't sleep that night so back in the world before covid we went to radwood at road atlanta and he was requested that he bring a couple of special cars out. So the owner, we're we're sitting inside looking there, and the shop foreman says, I'm taking this 500, this very special 500E that he has, which for those who don't know, is an E-Class that was assembled by Porsche for Mercedes when they shoved the factory-produced V8 that Mercedes adopted for production cars in the E-Class. So Mercedes liked the idea so much that they wanted to make a production car version called the 500E or or the 400E, depending on that, but... I got to ask, how much did you let her go?
1: How When you got to drive it, was it just kind of cruising or was it... Oh, no, we had a good
0: time. We, okay. we had a good time. I mean, there was obviously in, filmed in Mexico, of course, you know, <laughs> but uh, there, there were definitely triple digits were, were achieved. But what's interesting about these cars is they still function like normal cars, but she'll let you know that there's something angry under the hood. I mean, the cams are aggressive and they feel... And, and they're quick. But what's cool is like it, it works like a car but you'll hear little things like you'll sometimes you'll hear the exhaust will hit against parts of the frame because it'll rattle around a little bit but at speed they're so stable and smooth and just planted cars again
1: to anyone listening i cannot express like how much of a sleeper car these are too like oh yeah just a- amg in general they don't always look it but i i would argue they would blow almost everything out of the water oh yeah just if you always have that one guy that's at the red light that wants to race you until, it, until, you, uh, until it, it doesn't realize the AMG in the back of the car, what that stands for.
0: So what's cool is, um, going back to the individuality of these cars, there's another gentleman by the name of Al Lydon, and he's in Atlanta as well. He has a SEL, 82 or 85, 500 SEL, with a 5.4 liter single overhead cam. So a sedan, it's so, so AMG would do anything you wanted. It's, it's the single overhead cams, but it increased displacement. And his car has Recaros with an amazing custom interior with a custom wood kit and a full Clarion stereo rack that they had made. So his car shows the very difference where you could have a, an executive sedan and get that from champagne cooler to, to full stereo to, build to, to customized racks. Like that. oh yeah, so he had that car. Then they, he also had a white with blue narrow body SEC from AMG North America. And they would do little things. So what's cool about that car is we like to incorrectly nickname it the stealth car because it didn't get the large splitter or the big wings or the wide body kits or anything else like that. It just got all the chrome on these cars, was left factory on that car. But you could order it to have it painted all monochromatic color. But his car was white with all the chrome was still left. But the lower trim, since these cars were two-tone, like the lower body kit was painted white, but it still had all the chrome. So looking by, you wouldn't notice it. So it was even more of a sleeper.
1: That's very interesting. Uh, that, that brings up a question. Since AMG was so good at doing stuff in-house, what about paint? Because I know some, even some big companies outsource painting.
0: Would I don't know. And that's a question I need to ask. I didn't. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know who did the, I don't know who did the paintwork for them because when you're painting the quarters, I mean, you're, you're, you're blending in a lot of stuff. Hey, I mean, more stuff for historians to go down
1: for, just like Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't think they had a spray booth in-house, but I know that they had, I know they did the conversions and stuff in-house. So I think there was a stereo shop that they had do the conversions for the audios for them down the street from them. But that's from what I believe, but I do need to check on that as well.
1: I mean, that makes sense to me. And obviously you know more about this than I do, but, and it, Again, I still love the ability to customize to the driver. Oh, yeah. It makes that truly yours. It's not right. just mass production. It, it's
0: not an option box that you check. And I, I remember there's a good story of one of the... They were picking up some celebrity from, from somewhere, and there was a famous bridge that they would always run, and you would just gun it onto the highway. And they'd have a famous bridge. They would go on this underpass, and they was like, Oh, we're doing slow today. Run 120. <laughs> it, it's funny in the interview with richard buxbaum when he match when he mentions these cars he says the problem is you get a you have no susceptible speed like you think you're passing someone at 60 and you look down and you're doing 140 damn damn and th- I'm, correct me if I'm wrong one
1: I wonder what that sounds like in a tunnel
0: oh it's 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 cool that's gotta be
1: earth shaking
0: and there's a couple of videos around my good friend ted gashu when he was still with petrolicious Mercedes-Benz contracted them out to come film an amazing video. If you have time on the YouTube, check out the AMG Hammer Wagon Petrolicious video that they shot. And it was filmed in uh, mountains around Georgia where it was when for the 50th anniversary. And you can get some really good authentic driving and sound clips from that car and a great interview with Jonathan Hodgman as well. Also, when you said
1: you don't know when you're passing someone, you're doing 60 or 100, the suspensions on them too were from what I understand smooth
0: yeah that's the whole thing they I think it was 0.85 on the skid pad which back then was pretty good but even today it's a little bit soft and cushy so they they were designed to be used and yeah they AMG would in, they would improve the spring rates they would add stiffer shocks all to compensate for the extra weight of the four extra cylinders I think there was 500 pounds of added just conversion with the transmission the differential and all of that that went into the conversion because the other thing they did was they grafted the the trans the differential from the s-class into the subframe of the e-class so when you look at them there's all this extra added bracing from them welding the subframes together and it's it's like <laughs> it's just the garbage welds but they worked and they held it so my favorite set in the cars is how much they lowered the drag coefficient i mean it's like oh my god they're everything. more aerodynamic than a nissan gtr like oh. they're like 0.25 which Really is bad, that low? Very low. Like an E46 M3 is a .34 or .33, and this is like a .25. Oh
1: man! Well, I again, I implore everyone to look up pictures of all these AMGs because one, they not they just like lower them. That but they did everything in the details of. Oh they, yeah, they, the what, body what, kit
0: was functional. The, the wheels, bumpers, was, like all we're of it, everything is functional.
1: Oh god! As an engineer, that just makes me so happy that it's functionality over cosmetics. Right. And but don't get me wrong, some dude, like the Red Pig is slick looking. Oh yeah, well that you know that
0: car disappeared, right? That car doesn't exist anymore. We do mean doesn't does exist anymore. The Red Pig has never been seen. Like after this, there's, there's a video that came out with this famous Porsche guy Magnus Walker, where AMG built a, a Mercedes Classic Center built a tribute car to it, because after the race at Spa, the original Red Pig has disappeared. So that's another one to hunt. All right, you, you bastard, whoever took the original red pig, you got, you. come on, you got to let the world know you have it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, nothing is slower than last year's race car, unfortunately, so God only knows what happened to those parts. No, don't say that. That's I gonna know. going to hurt
1: my soul. No, it's, it's it's pristine in a bunker somewhere where some rich old guy just
0: forgot about it. It cruises ahead. around the Autobahn at night. There we go. That's That's the legend that's, of the red pig. It's like a, it's like a werewolf It's something that only happens at night and we only talk about, it's a dream. Yeah, Exactly. So my goal with these cars is to do exactly like this, is to tell the story of their involvement in AMG's involvement in Chicago. So when you mentioned like the world stages, they were around the most important people in the world. So there was a famous shop named Canepa Motorsports in California, and they were the West Coast service shop. They were also the people that brought in the Porsche 959. They're also doing the work for the Gordon Murray t fifty. And this is just a world-class shop where they work on uh, Gotti EB110s, full restorations. They're doing the Canepa 959SCs where they're updating Porsche 959s, which are already million-dollar cars. And these were the people that were involved with this car. Beverly Hills Motoring and the people that were involved in that have went on to go create amazing things as well. And telling the stories of these cars is really what I'm trying to do. Sir, you are on a noble expedition because it i i
1: i until we were introduced by our friend sean which you might be able to or remember him from the fire truck episode he told me about you and amg and i went down the rabbit hole and i just kept
0: That's the problem with it, and the other problem is with it. There's no really good information, so I'm trying to go out there and really document. And one of my main goals is to reunite the former CEO and the other people that are involved with a hammer. That is a big undertaking, there, my friend. I think I can do it, though. I think I I can find one. I I believe you can do it it. with
1: enough. I yeah. I mean, with the phone calls I've for the short time I've known you, with the phone calls you're making, the moves you're making, I believe you can do it. It's but it is a big undertaking, and I just. I love how AMG is it's a worldwide brand. But mm-hmm. focusing on the the North American one where there's so few and they're also custom and also it's it's almost like the spirit of the West, like the wild horses running around the plains.
0: Well see, and you see what the brands evolved to now. Now they're you know, dominating Formula One and that's kind of where they've taken their whole their whole image of going back to motorsports since they've kind of went away from that. And they've they focused on DTM and touring car racing. But now they've moved into F1, which I think is really kind of cool that uh, a shop which had ties to suburbs of Chicago is now absolutely dominating Formula One. And to say that maybe Chicago's you know press and media on the world stage had been taken note to the executives at Mercedes, and that's what maybe was a convincing factor with them. That's a, that's a big undertaking. Like Again, people, I don't think you understand this.
1: These were just some guys working at Mercedes that go, eh, let's make it better and now they're formula one their their cars are all across the world name brand that that is impressive small startup that is absolutely amazing and one going into f1 because i like f1 a lot it's i'm happy to see that kind of amg style coming back to the racing world where it's not just stock kind of you have to follow these rules but a little bit more customization more trying to figure out what works better and I can't think of anyone else better to lead the way than AMG.
0: I mean, Ferrari had a pretty good stranglehold there for a while, and you had— Shh, we don't talk about that. Yeah, I mean, they're having they're having their moments, but yeah, I mean, to really to start off as the rogue engineers that have just made it work, that's what I think is the cool story with it.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I just love—now, was Chicago the only manufacturing place in— the United States, or was that just the main hub? That was the main hub, okay. and
0: I don't know of any East Coast or West Coast that did the hammer conversions. I know that Canapa was the West Coast service center for these cars. I don't know if they actually did any hammer conversions. I don't think that they did. I believe that was an AMG Central only thing. Just goes to show you the great history in Chicago. Might
1: be just me saying I'm from Chicago. It's so a little biased there, but it's absolutely... An amazing story. And where can people find you if they want to hear more about
0: AMGs or where do they want to get into AMGs or just find you in general? So the best place to really, while we're building out the sites and the social medias, is I am on Instagram. I'm at sdp underscore ofmd. But the other places to go and look for these cars is at Blue Ridge MB, Blue Ridge Mercedes, but at Blue Ridge MB on Instagram. And there's another place, Rentech, and I don't know if they've launched their classics division yet, but they are really getting into the classics of these cars. And the other cars that they've built early on in their careers, after they formed, after they left AMG and formed Rentech, so they are focusing on the early Rentechs as well, which is an interesting niche, which is a whole other conversation. Well, now now you piqued my interest of what how is that tied in together that
1: unhealthy union
0: so that's um, hartmut who came over from germany to go build these cars when mercedes closed down amg he formed rentech which was the other independent tuner for mercedes benz okay so so
1: was amg bringing over their engineers and mechanics from europe to america yes. when they're... really yeah were they just training people, or were they like moving here, moving here? He
0: fully transplanted and moved his life over. He completely oh, wow. came over. Did not know that. Yeah. Actor. So Hartmut did that. Talk about doubling down on your investment there. Yeah, well. they said, hey, we need a technician, and Hart, and then Hartmut was like, yeah, let me go over there. So he came over to America and led the conversions, and was the, I guess, the foreman. Exactly, <laughs> foreman slash CEO slash everything. No, of. that was Buckhorn was the CEO, but Hartman was well, like the shop foreman. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. When, when you're coming over here, to yeah, do you're kind of you, yeah. you know what you're doing. <laughs> so he left, and he did the same thing, but with the next generation of cars done in Florida. So he'll take like the SL and the 500e and the S Class and whatever that they were doing, and they were doing the same things, but instead of calling it an AMG, it was a Rentec. Which is Hartmut's company. So they would do the 500Es, the S-Classes, and the E-Classes, and all the other stuff. So you could do. So almost like an umbrella company with with other factors. Same like. thing, but they were almost even more extreme. Really? So in the 90s, they were experimenting with carbon body work, and they did stroker motors on V12s. I mean, so they went from like seven, se- uh, six liters to 7.4 liters on these cars, and they did custom interiors, brakes, and, you know, Absolute nuts stuff. Custom carbon fiber interior trim, Heim joint suspension, locking diffs, exhaust, radiator, vented hoods, um, Alcon brakes, big brakes. Just you know the standard. Check this, check, check, check. And they did, uh, they did it all. They touched every part of those cars. <laughs> make it, make it weigh less and put in more power. Same formula. God, that. liters and messing with the weight with carbon that is in the 90s and it was 575 horsepower naturally aspirated in the 90s yeah double overhead cam 32 uh 48 valve v12
1: that's a monster oh yeah that's a monster oh yeah
0: titanium rods stroker crank i think the rods i actually i called them up the company still makes the rods and they're a thousand a piece for rods oh
1: jesus oh jesus
0: that because it's a Mercedes, so in, in my advanced engine rebuilding class at McPherson College, is I'm rebuilding a stock one, and they've already got six bolt mains. And they the, these motors, what makes these cars so expensive is Mercedes-Benz was designed with no compromises. So to make it better, you need to then improve on a no-compromise mentality. That's what makes these cars so impressive.
1: You're giving me so many rabbit holes to go down on YouTube and investigate these next coming nights. I'm going to lose so much sleep. Oh, yeah. You. And I once, I want to say thank you, and I also want to say... What the fuck man why are you doing this to me? There's so much things I need to investigate now. Oh, oh yeah God. So in the, in the 90s, way before I think what I think carbon fiber was first invent first discovered in the 80s and mm-hmm. wasn't really pressed upon until 2006, 2007. So in the 90s, they are trying to make carbon bodies and carbon
0: well carbon body panels. So I've seen an SL74 which had carbon it had a carbon hood. I know the car had a carbon hood, and I've seen the carbon hood cars. They've also done carbon interior trim, but they were really pushing the boundaries of exotic materials. So I think the standard SL was like eighty to one hundred and ten thousand dollars if you got the V eight or the V twelve, and these were another like two hundred thousand dollar plus cars <laughs> on top of it. So it's it's just absurd stuff. <laughs> absurd might be might be an understatement there. My breath. they would do some cool stuff too. I've seen on the special cars where. They had the arrangement of the gauge cluster, which had like the fuel and oil pressure and temperature gauge. And then they also had the speedometer and then the tachometer and then the clock. And they actually moved the speedometer to the smaller one and had a central rev counter, which was kind of cool.
1: That's interesting. Yeah.
0: That's really unique. So they would do like little stuff like that too. And there was a, a very famous 500E that they did a conversion on, which had the double overhead cam V8 and they were all unfortunately four-speed automatics and there is a famous manual conversion car which was very blue blue leather blue everything blue exterior and it was just very 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 blue i'm blue yada de yada <laughs> but i mean they would they would do the manual conversion if you had enough zeros in your checkbook. they would pay for it like if you if you could pay for it they would build it
1: I need to get some more zeros on my pay, my jacks. Like, you're giving me so many bad ideas for cars of the future and so many things I'm going to investigate more and just lose sleep. Oh, hey. yeah.
0: There's a very cool Rentec that was went on the cruise to Radwood uh, with Blue Ridge, and he's got this car, which was it's a 500E, which is the E-Class that Mercedes built with the double overhead cam V8 from the factory M119 that was the factory 5-liter V8 that they installed in their e-class and that was a production car you could buy them very cool cars very special but it was their production car and the owner of brumos porsche bob snodgrass had one in his daily driver for years because when you sell porsches if you want an s class if you want an e-class that's made by porsche what better car so he had that car and it was this famous smoke silver beige metallic cover and the paint just faded and just died, if you will, as all the beige metallics do. And he was approached by Glazeret for Amelia Island and said, what are you guys doing for Amelia? And he said, well, we don't really know. I was like, well, here, take my 500E. They stripped it down and did this amazing tri-stage pearl metallic off of the Rentec- or the SL Silver Arrows, which is this gorgeous silver liquid metal metallic. And it got that with... Other 19-inch um, mono-light wheels, which were made by Champion Motorsports. And it had custom yellow brake calipers, yellow pinstripe, carbon air boxes, and painted interior trim, and this really kind of funky billet aluminum shifter that he had made, Rentec, exhaust, sway bars, lowering springs, and this cool little Brumos Porsche sticker on the white face gauge cluster with uh, and it got a Rentec chip as well. So He's got that car, and that was going with us on our Radwood Road America adventure. Which just goes to show that, like, even these significant cars, the guy had, you know, sold Porsches and raced Porsches. Those were the cars that he chose to drive. I mean, that car, when Jonathan got it, had, like, 160-something thousand miles on it. Like, that was the guy's daily driver was, you know, important people had these cars.
1: When you have the opportunity to whatever you choose and you still choose that, that just shows how good and how amazing these cars actually are. Oh, man, that... You hurt my head. Yeah. No. <laughs> one more time. Where's one more time? Uh, where can people find you if they're looking for you? So,
0: my Instagram is at SDP of MD. My website, which is currently under development, is StephenDP.com. But the expert on these cars is Blue Ridge MB, Blue Ridge Mercedes, and Rentech, as well as shout out to Curated on Instagram, which is We Are Curated. They're an independent dealer out of Florida who has dealt in some of these cars, and they were. His father, the owner of John Tamarian's shop, was actually next door to Rentex early on. So he knows all that. It, it's, it's an amazingly small community with all of this. Everything's connected. And I would disagree.
1: I would absolutely add you to the, ep, the expert okay. field of that. You, you, sir, have educated me, taught me so much. And anyone listening, I implore you to check them out. And once again, once you guys get move forward with the investigation, we would love to help promote any way we can.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, once uh, once hopefully the book comes out and all the other press materials and everything comes through, when we figure out the right way to present it all, we'll definitely send you guys over and help you guys over for the book release.
1: Can't wait to help you guys along that road. Thank you much. And thank you all. Thank you, Stephen, for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And everyone, thank you for listening. <laughs>